Shalom. Peace. Hmm? Shalom. Peace to you, my good friends. I am Simeon, and together with Anna, we are that missing middle piece of your Christmas celebration. I'm sure that many of you all have your manger scenes as part of your Christmas celebration. The shepherds indeed visited the newborn Jesus as he lay in the manger on the night of his birth. The angels encouraged them to do exactly that. The shepherds in turn went out to tell everyone what they had seen. Think about it for a minute in a modern kind of parallel here. If a bunch of garbage removal folks pounded on your door in the earlier hours of the morning, excitedly telling you that the newborn king has been born, what would you have thought? I'm equally sure that many of your manger scenes include three kings or at least well-dressed wise men. Matthew tells us, however, that as Herod sought to kill the young Messiah in Bethlehem, he had all of the boys who were two years old and younger killed. He did this based on what the wise men had said about what they saw when the star had appeared. Many suggest that by this time, it had been at least a year since the star had first appeared, so Herod split the difference. Your gospel writer, Luke, however, records two events that are very seldom remembered about the baby Jesus, when he was just a week and then later a month old. Few of you probably saw this even mentioned in your Christmas celebrations this past year. I am here to tell you about this missing middle part of Christmas. Now, names are very important in our Jewish heritage. My name is Simeon, or if you have a Greek or American accent, you can call me Simon. My name comes from the Jewish word sma, to hear, or better yet, to listen. One of your pastors, Jim, has told the story about his granddaughter who could hear him, but he was, she wasn't listening to him. The name was original, this name was originally given to the third of Leah's sons. The book of Genesis records that Leah was happy, that God was listening to her and answered her prayer with a son. Moses' great prayer in Deuteronomy 6.4 starts off with the phrase, Listen or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Most Jews see this as a very key and important, unique part of our heritage. And uh, one of the other people that was named that we know about this was the third Hasmonean king was named Simon, or Simeon during the time of my grandparents. It was a high point for us in our Jewish nation. So secondly, let me make a, another important point and give you just a little bit of my own background. It all starts at the end of your Old Testament where this Greek great general called Alexander the Great Alexander conquered the, all of what was then the known world and did such a good job that many folks wanted to become Greek, just like him. This process was known as Hellenization. <clears throat> For the Jews, this process produced a whole different group of Jews that hadn't been there before called the Sadducees. They were the more liberal folks, if you will, of the Jewish nation. That put them in direct conflict with the Pharisees who were the more conservative members of the Jewish nation, kind of like your modern Democrats and Republicans, if you will. Only these guys were a bit more opposed to each other, even than they are today. Unfortunately, a ruling descendant of one of Alexander's generals who took over after Alexander had passed away, Antiochus IV, 
The fourth, he hated us Jews. He had a statue of Zeus put up in the Holy of Holies in our own Jewish temple, and he had sacrificed a pig on the altar of Almighty God. This was called the abomination of desolation. Well, an old priest by the name of Matthias, together with his sons, rose up. Turns out that his sons were really pretty good generals. They came down like a hammer. The Greek Hebrew name for hammer is Maccabee. A lot of you folks know, that, uh, those of you who have done some theology, this is called the time of the Maccabees. <clears throat> he came down on the remnant of the Greek empire that was beginning to already decay by then. Judas, Matthias' son, retook the temple from the Greeks in 164 B.C. It happened on the 25th of Kislev, about the December point in your guy's calendar. But they had a problem. <clears throat> it was going, they wanted to rededicate, to re-cleanse the temple. For this, they would need some holy oil, and it was going to take eight days to, to produce this oil. They only had one day's worth of oil to last while they were trying to make the new stuff over the next eight days. Well, sir, I'm going to tell you, God worked a miracle, and that one single day's worth of oil lasted for eight full days. <clears throat> they had a feast of dedication for the temple. The word in Hebrew for dedication is Hanukkah. I believe most of you guys have probably heard about that holiday. Your New Testament tells us that Jesus himself celebrated it. In my day, the celebration lasted for eight days to commemorate this miracle. I've heard that it's still celebrated for eight days around your Christmas every time every year. Is this still true? I think I've heard it so. Anyway, several brothers of the Maccabees and then their descendants all took turns as king. Under Simon, the third brother in the time of my grandparents, as I mentioned earlier, all the Jews enjoyed peace. We drank from our own vines and ate our wheat from our own fields. It was a glorious time. Unfortunately, it began to unravel about the time Anna and I were born. And then it began to get worse. By the time we were in our early 20s, civil war actually broke out between the liberal Sadducees and the conservative Pharisees. The war lasted for almost 10 years. During this time, Anna became a widow. And I have often wondered if perhaps her husband was killed in one of those battles between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, about the time I reach middle age, Rome steps in in the form of Pompey to conquer our unruly nation. And things begin to go from bad to even worse, even for Rome. Pompey is defeated by Julius Caesar. You may have heard of him. Julius Caesar is assassinated by Brutus. Brutus is defeated by Antony, who had an Egyptian girlfriend, you may have heard of her, uh, Cleopatra, I think, was her name. Antony, in turn, loses to Emperor Augustus, and like a demon climbing a sinking ladder, Herod leaps from Roman rung to Roman rung, kissing up to the Romans, in an attempt to try and get the golden ring, rule over what the Romans at that point called Palestine. I'm beginning to near my retirement when Herod finally wins with Rome and he gets appointed king and begins to reign in 37 B.C. Herod has four sons, but he doesn't trust anybody, even his sons. He proceeds to kill the two oldest sons and then his own wife, who was his main claim to being able to be on the throne, and finally his third son. Roman, the Roman Emperor Augustus that I mentioned a little bit ago noted that it was better to be a sow than a son. 
in the house of Herod because Herod at least kept kosher and didn't eat pork. In the midst of all of this, God promised me something that I couldn't hardly believe. I would not die until I had the chance to be see the Messiah. The same word Messiah in Hebrew is the word Christ in Greek. And the word in English is anointed. Um, king Charles III is currently scheduled to be crowned king. And when that part of that process, he will go through a special private ceremony called anointing. It still happens to this day. In either event, staying devout through the Roman, times of Roman and of Herod, is a very difficult thing to do. The way that we helped manage to do this was we want to get the help to know other people who were of like mind. I knew about the devout Zechariah and Elizabeth, and I knew about Elizabeth's inability to have children. They were only a decade or so younger than me. I was pleased when Zechariah got the lot for the Holy of Holies on the most special day of the Jewish calendar. It's called the Day of Atonement. The name in Hebrew is Yom Kippur. It's the 10th of Tishri on the Jewish calendar, roughly mid to late September on your Christian calendar. We all waited outside to hear Zechariah come out and proclaim forgiveness. But imagine our surprise when he came out and didn't proclaim forgiveness for the entire Hebrew nation as was part of the whole normal ceremony. He came out and all of a Zechariah couldn't talk. He couldn't speak. Well, people came out, they were excited, they were worried, they managed to get a tablet into him, and they figured he could still write, which he did. And he began to tell a fantastic, wonderful story. While he was standing there, in the Holy of Holies, making the offering to Almighty God, the angel Gabriel told him that Elizabeth, he and Elizabeth were going to have a boy. His elderly wife was going to conceive. Well, naturally, at the advanced age, like anybody, Zechariah is finding this a little bit difficult to believe. I mean, after all, again, he and Elizabeth are very, very old. So Gabriel says, I'll tell you what, you're not going to be able to speak until the baby is born. You're going to name that baby boy, Gabriel tells him. You're going to name him John. And he said, your baby boy John is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Well, in that part, hit the crowd through the, tent, through the uh, stuff, the tablet that Zechariah was writing on, the whole crowd became electric because we all knew that Elijah was supposed to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. That meant that Zechariah and Elizabeth's baby was going to become the gateway for the Messiah. This was a problem, though, for me. I was thinking... Am I going to have to wait another 20 years for their baby boy to grow up and for me to meet the Messiah? I was trying to figure out how all this was going to work. And as if all that weren't enough, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, we hear through the grapevine that Elizabeth's Mary, I'm sorry, Elizabeth's relative Mary had come down to visit her. Now, Mary was from up near Sephoris, uh, up in northern Israel. Um, it was a small suburb. I, I doubt any of you have ever heard about it, but the suburb is called uh, Nazareth. Nazareth is the name of the suburb that Mary was from, if I remember correctly. In any event, when Mary showed up, something very interesting happened. 
Now remember, Elizabeth's about six months pregnant at this point. Mary shows up, and all of a sudden, the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb begins to kick and bounce around like crazy, jumping up and down. And Elizabeth kicks into this beautiful Hebrew poetry. And he, she tells Elizabeth, blessed arm, how blessed I am to have the mother of my Lord visit me. So we're all trying to process this. I mean, this is getting out through the grapevine. You know, we're all hearing this little bit of news in Jerusalem. Um, and Mary also has her own beautiful Hebrew poetry. I think that you people still celebrate it today. Many of the Catholic churches do this thing called the Magnificat. Mary says, magnifies my soul, the Lord. In any event, uh, Mary has her own fantastic story to tell. It turns out that six months after Gabriel had visited Zechariah in our Holy of Holies, he trekked up to that little suburb of Nazareth, and he told Mary that she was going to have a baby. Well, this is kind of hard to believe because Mary tells the angel, she says, you know what, I haven't been with a man. How can I possibly be, be pregnant? But in either event, Gabriel told her she was going to have a baby. And not only this, Zechariah and Elizabeth are testifying for this whole miraculous thing. Well, Mary stays with them for three months, and then just before John is born, she heads back up to Nazareth. You really have to feel kind of sorry to, for poor old Zechariah, though. Think about it for a minute. Poor old Zechariah can't talk. Imagine a preacher without being able to talk. Jim or Bill or Lance or one of your other pastors can't talk for nine months. I suppose it's kind of funny too, but uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, you feel a little bit sorry for them perhaps as well. The other thing to think about is that poor Zechariah had to live in the same house for three months with two women and he couldn't speak a word. For those of you who've been through the process, you can imagine what that must have been like. I don't know if Gabriel was blessing Zechariah or giving him an extra curse or maybe giving him the opportunity for self-preservation. You have to figure it out. But poor old Zechariah is in that house for three months and he can't say a word. When the baby is finally born, Zechariah names him John like the angel Gabriel had told him to do, but no one else in his family had that name. It was extremely unusual in the Hebrew culture to name a baby by somebody who was different than the name that your relatives had. Later, this John became known as John the Baptist in your New Testament. So anyway, think for a moment about a prayer that you've been waiting for, perhaps literally for decades. I had been promised that this particular prayer would be answered, yes, by no less than God's Holy Spirit himself. All I had to do was wait. And so I settled down to wait for another 20 years. Even though I was really pretty old, I was ready to go home. But all of a sudden, suddenly, seven months, not 20 years later, seven months after John's birth, a big surprise came. The Holy Spirit called me to the temple to meet the Messiah. It wasn't 20 years later. I was trying to explain this to the Holy Spirit, but he's, nope, nope, you got to go today. Well, this brought on a whole bunch of questions. Where were the heralds who were going to announce the coming of this Messiah King? How would Zechariah's infant son be going in front of this great Messiah? And how and when was this Messiah going to get rid of these hated Romans? At this point, let me take just a moment to kind of change gears here a little bit. It might be helpful to talk about the customs we have about 
the coming of a new child. I know that you guys do many things when you have a new baby that's born and different sorts of things you do legally and or for customarily. This is the first and foremost of the Jewish customs is that all Jewish boys are circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. Your New Testament tells us that this is exactly what happened to Jesus. This is so important that even the Sabbath can be broken to allow for this to take place. Your modern physicians have noted that vitamin K and prothrombin peak at this point in the newborn's life, making it the perfect time for God to have circumcision done. Circumcision is a covenant sign. Covenants were done with the sacrifice and shedding of blood. That was a very specific part of a covenant. This covenant is between God and Abraham's seed. Abraham was the first one to be circumcised for this whole combination. Circumcision is a constant reminder for all Jews about our position with God. And there's even some sorts of health benefits that are suggested. Many, even non-Jews, have their babies circumcised in modern times. Secondly, the second part of the whole thing is the mother must make an offering for cleansing from the bleeding of the fluids and the bleeding that comes in childbirth. The mother is to offer a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a dove as a sin offering. This is to happen 30 days after the birth for boys and 60 days after birth for girls. Some of you may sit there and wonder, why does it take 60 days for girls and only 30 days for boys? Well, maybe girls are more precious. They take a little bit longer. I'm not sure I know all the details, but God told us this is the way to do it, so we do it this way. If for some reason the mother cannot afford a lamb because lambs aren't all that cheap, they're kind of expensive, then she can offer a pigeon instead of the lamb. So instead of offering a turtle dove and a lamb, she offers two turtle doves. Finally, if the firstborn if the baby is a firstborn, and if he is a boy, then five shekels are needed to redeem him from the Lord. This comes from the Passover, when all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians were slain by the angel of death, but the Hebrew firstborn were spared. A shekel's worth about two-fifths of an ounce of, of, of silver. Uh, a shekel's about two-fifths of an ounce of sil silver. I checked on the internet this morning. That's about six and a half dollars in today's prices. It's worth about, back then, however, five shekels was worth about one-tenth of your annual income. Okay? So put in your head how much your annual income is, take one-tenth of that, and that's what they had to give if the baby boy was a firstborn boy. While I was following the directions of the Holy Spirit and waiting for the Messiah to appear, I was thinking about the baby John's, the baby Elijah's ceremony just seven months back. And then all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks. If there was a baby Elijah, could there possibly be a baby Messiah? It seemed almost too impossible to be true. So I settled down, thinking a little bit more. And while I was waiting for the baby Messiah to appear, or whatever age he might be, I noticed three couples came in to make their offerings for their newborns. The first couple came with a pigeon and a lamb, which means the father was pretty well off, but their baby was a girl. Then a second couple came in with their boy and a pigeon and a lamb, but there were no shekels. So this baby boy was not the firstborn. 
And to be a king, or especially a Messiah, he certainly had to be the firstborn of the couple. And then third, a couple came in. They had the five shekels. Somehow they'd scraped together the five shekels, but I could tell they weren't very well off. They're pretty much the lower class. They couldn't afford the lamb. They brought the poor man's offering of two pigeons. Surely the Messiah would at least have a lamb as part of his offering. But then, all of a sudden, from when she was down visiting with Zechariah and Elizabeth, I recognized Mary. And I remembered about all the rumors that had been going around at the time. And then the Holy Spirit really came upon me. And I found myself, me, myself, prophesying. First, I prophesied to God. I said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then I blessed Mary and Joseph directly with all the love and compassion that I have ever felt. And then the Holy Spirit had me prophesy directly to Mary. This child is destined to call the, cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He will be a sign that will be spoken against. And Mary, I'm afraid a sword is going to pierce your own soul too. At that very moment, Anna came up and joined us. I knew Anna well. She was from the tribe of Asher and a devout woman herself. And guess what? There's no lost tribe of Asher. I won't tell you Anna's exact age, but it was one year less than 85. She was a widow with no children for almost 60 years, but she wasn't the least bit bitter. A woman in our culture who has no children is almost a curse. And yet Anna bore it like a 110% gold sweetheart. She literally spent every waking moment in God's holy temple in prayer and worship. There was no way Anna was going to let me be the only one to hold a baby, let alone a baby Messiah. She too took the child from me and gave our most holy God thanks and praise for him. And then she gently gave the baby Messiah back to Mary. Anna went on to tell anyone who would listen about God's redemption through this baby Messiah king. I think even a pillar or two in the holy temple hold her to her tell the tale. Let me share some thoughts real quickly here, if I may. I realized that the Holy Spirit had me quoting from Psalms and Isaiah about God's salvation to both Jew and Gentile. This baby was a Messiah to unite Jew and Gentile, all peoples and all nations. But even as he was a Messiah to unite, he would also divide. People would rise or fall as their innermost secret thoughts would be revealed. The Messiah had come not as a conquering hero, but as a baby that I held in my arms. As I looked into his brand new eyes, I was seeing the Ancient of Days. One of your Christmas songs asks if Mary knew that when she kissed her little baby, she kissed the face of God. Jesus was the baby king 
whose dad couldn't afford a lamb. Even as he was presented with the poor man's offering in Herod's rich gold-covered temple. And one last key thought about your modern Christmas celebrations. Note that the story of Anna and I is the middle event in the nativity. The shepherds came on the night that Jesus was born. Anna and I got to see the baby Jesus when he was just a month old. The wise men didn't arrive until Jesus was probably a year old or more. Perhaps they should have asked directions. In Jewish poetry, the climax is in the center. And the temple visit is the center event of the nativity story. It seems like a bit like that missing middle video that we just had. Also note that the story about Anna and I is the longest passage about the baby Jesus in the Bible. So you may ask, why isn't this part of our Christmas celebration? I'll tell you. I don't know. But maybe I can offer one thought. It's possibly because of the Jewishness of the whole story. Historically, many Western Christians, to many Western Christians, the Jews have been shunned and even persecuted. Gentiles have looked at us Jews as Christ killers, forgetting that each of us, both Jew and Gentile, helped to forge the reason for the nails in Jesus' hands and feet. They forgot that salvation comes both to Gentile and to Jew. They forgot that the Messiah, Yeshua, was himself Jewish. Consider some of the Jewish elements of this passage. There's circumcision, purification sacrifices, shekels, there's a Jewish temple, there's the redemption of Jerusalem. All of this, though, really isn't much of a problem. I got to hold the baby Messiah, Yeshua, in my arms. And that was enough. So, as I'm in my closing and we get the faith team to come back up here, you, Faith Fellowship, are going to begin your journey through the life of Jesus. So here's a thought. When your journey through Jesus' life comes to a close next year, next Christmas, 2023, you might think about making a Simeon and Anna figurine to add to your own manger. I know that the Smiths have done so, and if you need some help or you want some things, you can put some orders in with, with uh, Bill and Jackie, perhaps. I would ask that you do this, not necessarily for Anna or I, but so that you might remember that this baby Messiah, Jesus, was the Lamb of God who couldn't afford his own lamb. He came to unite Jew and Gentile. He came to divide believer from unbeliever. He came as one of us with the poor offering even in the rich golden temple. For the very young, like the infant he was, and for the very old, like Anna and I. For the Jew, for the Gentile, for all nations. The baby Messiah came not as a conquering hero, but as a tiny baby held in our arms. Not to be above or below us, but among us in our hearts, and always with us. And now, might I bid you shalom, peace, in the name of that baby Messiah, Yeshua.